I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? You rocking and you rolling? I'm rocking and I'm rolling. Rocking and or rolling. I won't Ooh. specify which. Maybe well, both. Well, and I'm, I'm not going to give away what I can see from this end of the uh, Skype <laughs> cameo is, but uh, trust me, he has got a rock. Uh, how's it been going, my friend? Are you uh, been keeping well so far into 2018? Is it working out for you? Is it all you hoped it would be? I got a whole list of excuses as to why I haven't got to the things that I need to get to, why I haven't been as motivated as I would have liked to, but I, you know, see year of excuses, so I'm just well following you, in with the title. You are, well, you know, maybe maybe put some Baileys in your coffee and see if that peps you right up. Yeah, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a few uh, Baileys uh, drinks that I'm going to experiment with this year and I will let you know. Flash is becoming a bit of a mixologist, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> which is a posh word for a retarded barman. Um, anyway, Flash, do you, do you want to get us started on uh, today's wander through the world of science, technology, biology, whatever we do? I don't, what do we do? That's a fair summary, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a fair summary, and I don't know if you had to you know, categorize what we do. I think it's... Well, no, let's, uh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. We've, you know, let's keep the reviews clean, please. Ram, ramble on into <laughs> microphones about some stuff that we find interesting. Uh, that should be the tagline for the show. Two guys yeah, well, rambling on about stuff they find interesting. How you haven't got a job in marketing, Flash, <laughs> I will never know. I'm available, whoever's listening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm available. Yeah, he's always available, ladies and gents. <laughs> always, always available. Uh, but um, cheap. Okay, take it away, Flash. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's go with a bit of a departure from what we normally do. I don't in like a sense, in a it makes sense, me nervous. I'm rocking now. <laughs> this story is. I bring it up not so necessarily about the about the technology, but it's a story about what we do with the technology and the ethics behind that. So I'm speaking of specifically a category of technology called dual technologies and if you've not heard of this uh, it basically is a term that refers to any sort of technology that can be used for both good and bad so generally for like a lightsaber yes like exactly yes exactly Um, to bring it back to earth 
we think of these as things like uh, medicine and then the bad side being military or terrorism uses. So mainly like a lot of these technologies, the, the focus has always been usually on like virology or bacteriology, the sort of medical domain is right. where the debate has really come up. But there's a group of guys, uh, three, three nerds over at the University of Basel in Switzerland that have been talking about um, the concept of dual technology in terms of neuroscience and neurotechnology. So these three guys believe that the time has come that we start thinking about the ethics of research that's being done by militaries uh, and civilian sectors in neuroscience and neurotechnology. So the framework always is that you have this pro you have a problem, you know, say spinal cord injuries, Alzheimer's is big ones that come into this area of neuroscience and neurotechnologies and stuff. So you have civilian research trying to solve this problem. And then you have militaries being like, oh, hey, we could do something pretty gnarly with that too. So let's, right. then they start doing it. And then there's, you know, a feedback where some of that, some of the work that the military does because of the way that they can work, um, some might say without the ethical constraints of other sectors, uh, and they get to be in a bit more secrecy, uh, and they get a shit ton of funding, depending on the country. Um, they can then, it's like, it's good for military, if that's what you're into, but it also feeds back into the civilian thing. So right now, what they kind of mention in this piece I was reading, and unfortunately, here's an excuse, but the, 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 uh, the, whole, yeah. the, the full paper is behind a paywall. So I'm, I haven't been able to get at it yet for with my uh, you've illegal You've not been flexing the, uh, the podcast credit card, have you? Yeah, I, I have not. I have not. Good, um, well done. But um, so they mentioned that like there's a lot of prototypes going on right now um, for technology that's aimed at modulating emotions, cognition and behavior of soldiers. Uh, some of these applications are used to for deception, detection, interrogation, and the other big one is brain-computer interfaces. Um, and so, these guys are not calling. What the the conclusion, I guess, of of the paper is? They're saying, look, we don't need an outright ban on researching these for for military right. uses, because, like I mentioned at the beginning. If you, there's some good that comes. There's from some it. good yeah. that comes out of it, and an outright ban on on researching this kind of stuff could either hamper, um, you know, the good benefits in other areas. Like I said, Alzheimer's and spinal cord injuries are two that you can think of for these kind of technologies. Um, but it could also push the military research deeper underground, so people will be even more secretive about it, and then you have even less civilian oversight. Um, right. So it's kind of an interesting paper uh, or you know theme to, to, to start us off here tonight because, yeah, it's, it's about where do we go with this technology? What should the focus be? Uh, how comfortable are you with militaries you know, dabbling in this stuff? Um, and they're basically their, their call to action at the end uh, is basically to make a code of conduct which right. good luck getting the militaries to follow that <laughs> uh, and raising awareness within the scientific community about, about this technology and about what's going on. And, and that to me seems practical. That seems like a good thing, you know, for us, 
because it gives us stuff to talk about on, on the show. Uh, and it, it seems like, like what else can you do other than raise the alarm, right? I mean, if you think about this, this is the exact same conversation that goes on with stem cells, with ge- genetic engineering. Um, very loud conversation going on right now about artificial intelligence. But is, yeah. it, is it shifting anything? This is kind of my point, my stance on it right now is I think that, you know, raising awareness is a good thing. However, does that really change anything? Because people are plowing ahead with the artificial yeah. intelligence and stuff. But so. then that's that's almost the first step, isn't it? You know, there's never going to be an immediate change to anything, but especially something like technology or um, something as massive as that. But awareness is the first step, isn't it? The more people make you make aware, suddenly then you get a weight behind that, mo- you know, that movement and that motion and then it scales up. So, it, you know, it's like starting with a small snowball at the top of the hill and at the end of it, it's an avalanche. But yeah, it's an in- yeah, it raises some interesting ethical questions. If you think think that there was a, a few years back, there was, um, I can't remember what it was now, but there was a, it was either a drug or a treatment that the early work basically stemmed out of all the, on human testing that the Nazis did during the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was a big debate, but, well, should we, you know, we shouldn't use this stuff because it, you know... Because it was, was totally unethical and it was yeah. wrong and, you know, countermeant to torture. But then other people were saying, yeah, but okay, we agree, it's totally wrong and we never, ever, ever want that to happen again. But... But, <laughs> but we've got that data. It's so. already been done, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, similar similar situation. Uh, a bit different though, because this is not conducting the research. Isn't necessarily the ethical question, right? But it's it's yeah. what like what what you use it for. It's like yeah. I guess the classic one is the atom bomb, right? Like it gives you nuclear power, nuclear energy, but it also gave you the the, the atom bomb. So. Yeah. What like what what are you comfortable living with? And this one's particularly deceptive, I think, too, because the the goods are so good. You know, if you can fix spinal cord injuries, if you can, you know, uh, help people with Alzheimer's, these like really devastating, yeah, mental or brain um, diseases. You know, because these are things that like people are totally afraid of. They're, they're totally devastating for the people that get them, for the families of the people that get them. Uh, they change. They change your life if you have a spinal cord injury. You know, so people like it's not like the like people. The good is so good, but then the bad is also so nefarious. When you think about like, you know, soldiers whose emotions and cognition and behavior have been manipulated to be cold-blooded, you know, calculated killing machines, or to feel no pain, or you know, or feel no empathy. These kind of things. Like it's like it really swings and it has such a human element too, you know, like the atom bomb. Yes, it kills a lot of people, but we're used to, we're kind of in people's minds. You're used to bombs. You're used to warfare in that sense. This is more like tampering with people. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I yeah. think there's a real like visceral connection that people might have to it on both sides, on the good and the bad, real emotional connection to it. So interesting conversation i'm glad that the yeah, i came across this i'm going to try and find find a way to get that full paper i'm not going to 
I'm not going to spend 45 euros to get it, though. That's for oh, sure. No, that's yeah. that's a lot of cream on your face in a uh, clinical trial to uh, get that sort of access. <laughs> that, that comment is totally <laughs> totally out of context. And I know, and we'll just leave it there, because then the <laughs> listeners will just be left wondering. But um... Yeah, maybe on the B-sides of, of this episode, <laughs> I'll have to put that into context. Um, or not. Or yeah, not. or not. Or not. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I thought it was an interesting, interesting topic to bring up, and and also motivated me to uh, for later episodes maybe look into some of these crazy military technologies that are going on. We can talk about that. Well, it'd be it, yeah, it would be interesting to see other what past examples are there, not and not just in neuroscience and neuro, but what has come one from the other. You know, I guess one that comes straight to my mind are dr- drones. You know, yeah. Suddenly, you know, every every kid is the the thing to have at Christmas is a drone. Yeah, and then well, you go, you know, you go to the Middle East in places like that where the last thing people want to see is a drone coming at you because yeah, it usually means a missile strike. Yeah, exactly. Well, you think about ro- robotics in general, right? Like the the way that they can improve efficiency in manufacturing and all this stuff, which it also has a pro and a con to it, right? With the jobs thing. Um, or that they can use robots to rescue people uh, after earthquakes, things like this, um, just even to do dangerous jobs that people don't really want to do anyway. Uh, and then you have Terminator on the other side. So that's an interesting one. I mean, I can't, I can't think of specifically the virology, bacteriology ones, but I mean, obviously it's, it's bioweapons, um, but I don't know what the good would be on well, that. I guess maybe some kind of immune therapy or even vaccines or something like the technology of being able to work with those uh, organisms and genetically alter them or something but yeah well yeah yeah and I guess, if you think old and old you know biological warfare like anthrax and things you know probably uh, a lot of the things that we've learned about preventing and treating and you know just the ecology of the uh, the bacteria itself, the anthrax bacteria itself, has probably stemmed a lot from some of the testing that was done. Yeah. For biological reason, for biological warfare reasons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Let's 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 dig into that because I think I think there could be some some ground there. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, and it's it's you know we we kind of we we end up looking at the technology itself a lot. I mean, we usually look at how it's going to change people's lives and everything like that. But this is one of those, you know, let's do, we need to pump the brakes, take a look and stop and look at what we're doing, which if I had to say, you know, what humans are best at, it's not that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see where it goes. Cause the look, AI is another big one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. This will never get out of the lab. <laughs> what? What could go wrong? This is like the well, beginning of every bad sci-fi movie. No, wor- wor- nothing worst could case, go wrong. Worst case scenario, this gets out of the lab. Best case scenario, we make a Hollywood film out of it. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> With Tom Cruise chasing down some bad guys. Chimera that, virus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, okay. Um, moving on to, you know, from war and all of the negative, let's move to one of my... Favorite subjects. <laughs> Listeners, you should see the way his face just lit up <laughs> over the Skype camera there. 
one of my favorite subjects for purely academic reasons, our old friend Cannabis. Ah, Peace and love. Nothing but smoking to herb, man. So we've been transported back to the 60s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No more war. Nothing, there's no weed is a is is only is a single technology, not a dual technology. There is only one good. Um, but actually, that's not really true. Let's let's pump the brakes on that one. Okay. Because I think we brought this up in pre brought this up in previous episodes, where there's a lot of you know the hype right now. Obviously, is legalize it. Weed is good for everything. I believe yeah, Bob Marley everything. said that. I believe yeah, Bob Marley said everything. that. Weed yeah, is good so, for it's everything. It's also good on pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> it's also good on pizzas. <laughs> um, but I think we do tend to like in the in the popular narrative of it all, it 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 gets lost that it is a drug. It can, you know, I I I don't believe that it's addictive in the sense that like cocaine or heroin or some of these other ones are addictive. Um, but it's, it's not good for people, young people with developing brains. So we're told, um, I think people can definitely abuse it. You know, some people it just, it's not good for, they get really anxious and all the rest of it. Um, so I think it's important to remember that. And that's what this study that I found is about. Uh, so specifically about, um, chronic use of the chronic, uh, in adolescence. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so so in in adolescence, yeah, okay, yeah. So they were looking, they were looking at uh, what you would. There's, I guess, there's a measure uh, survey that you go through to determine whether you are a chronic user, whether you're an abuser of of weed. And so they found thirty people that fit that criteria, thirty people that fit, uh, or that weren't. Do you think that the uh, survey went? Are you a uh, smoker? I'm a joker. I'm a midnight. Like, do you think that was like, which, which <laughs> yeah. one of those categories do you fall into? Yeah, that's right. They just <laughs> that's the flyer on the on the wall of the <laughs> university campus. Uh, yeah, we did it at a university campus, and we had lots of people sign up for the <laughs> drug user side, but we had a lot of trouble finding the healthy controls. Yeah, till we went to the math elites, <laughs> and even then it was a stretch. Well, yeah. But uh, yeah, so they had the, the, the user group and the control group, um, and they were looking at brain activity and specifically connectivity. So what regions were connected and active uh, during resting state. Right. So not doing anything with your brain. So uh, well, about 12 hours a day for me. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they found that there was... Um, yeah, heightened connectivity in regions of the brain that were important for reward processing and habit formation. Okay. Which kind of makes sense when you think that these people are have already been deemed chronic abusers or users of weed. So that kind of makes me think, is this like a chicken before the egg kind of right, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? But bud before the blunt kind of thing, I don't know. Um, I'm assuming they had a way of... of controlling for that but i'm not sure um and yeah and so these um these regions that are are being affected uh, in the in the uh, group of people that are heavy users um are associated with uh 
depression and other forms of mental illness. So this basically what basically what it boils down to is it suggests a mechanism by which heavy use uh, can lead to depression and other forms of mental illness in the chronic users. And I guess the the people in that group that had these associations, these alterations in their brain functioning, um, these alterations were also associated with heightened feelings of negative emotions, especially alienation, which I guess is a big, um, a big flag or warning sign for people that are chronic weed yeah. abusers. A lot of them, when when it when weed is a problem for them, they tend to be alienated. They tend to be social sort of yeah. loners on their own, just kind of you know. But again, it makes me wonder you know, what comes first? Is the is the weed the self-medication for an existing problem? Or does the weed exacerbate that problem? I don't know. Yeah, how'd, but, you, how'd you do that without like creating a, another group full of people that weren't users and suddenly become chronic users? It's... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's... I think it's important to note because, like, so many people... Like I said, again, with the wave of popularity in legalization and stuff, um, a lot of people don't think you can get addicted to weed. And I don't really think that you can get addicted to weed. I tend to think, and I'm, and this is just personal opinion, like I don't, I've, I've read some stuff on it. I'm not going to claim that I'm, uh, you know, pharmacologist or anything like this. So, um, but it's definitely... You can abuse it, like you can abuse any drug, I think, yep. but I don't know if it's got the same physical addiction properties yeah, that, say, it, like, a, more, like an opioid or something is does. Is it more psychological addiction as opposed to physiological addiction almost? Exactly. But but then this, but then you have this evidence that says that there is changes to the brain. And actually, I forgot to mention that the, the effects were strongest in people who reported that they started smoking weed earlier. Which in would life. okay, which would make sense if you know obviously affecting the developing brain is gonna yeah. So I think that's that's the real the real thing. You know, like for ninety percent of us that allegedly have used marijuana, <laughs> uh, it's not a problem. You know that most people are fine. Most people enjoy it for whatever reason they enjoy it for. Well, they just can't and... remember the bad sides of it because of the memories. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but yeah, there is a, a small group of, of people, it seems, that it's not good for and that they can develop a dependency on it. And I would, again, it leads me to think that these people had may already be susceptible or it's a developing brain thing. Like, I definitely don't think that your young people should be smoking weed. And, and this, is, this is the kind of research that they need when they're looking at legalization and what are the rules going to be that kind of thing. And it's something that's been hampered by drug policies in the past um, is that you can't even get this good, this type of research out there um, to, well, for to me, base your informed drug policy on. Yeah, for me, what would be interesting is what are the personality types of these these people that are having their, you know, are they, yeah. do they have addictive personalities for one of a better term already in that whatever you give them, be it, TV, computer games, chocolate, 
whatever you yeah. give them, they're going to get addicted to it in, in some way, shape, or form. And so, but obviously, you know, that data would be quite hard to come by. That said, you know, with all the legalization that's about to happen, it's probably the largest scale clinical trial in the world that's about to kick off because. Yeah, definitely. It could be more. Yeah, it'll be like, well, we'll we'll see what it is, and and you know there is always the. The percentage of people too that when they use a drug like weed or you know some of the other psychedelic ones that it it, you know triggers a psychosis like it triggers a, schizophrenia and yeah. stuff like this, so you know that's is it is it this kind of thing too where you have sort of an underlying potential for that illness mental illness and then you add a mind altering substance on top of that and it you know that's the trigger a little sprinkling um, over the top yeah, yeah 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 just to flip the switch you yeah. know far out man and never return um yeah so i don't know interesting because yeah, yeah. like i said like i'm i'm an advocate for legalization i think it should be i think the drugs should be legal and that's the best way to enforce any kind of rules that you do want to have on them and it's the best way for people to get treatment when they do have drug problems i i tend to fall into the camp that when people have drug problems, it's generally because they're self-medicating for something else. Right. Uh, and it is a public health issue and a mental health issue rather than a legal issue. So. Well, yeah, yeah and that's, and it's a, a different debate, but the whole legalization piece of, you know, you and I are sat here drinking a beer right now. Well, you know, if alcohol has only just been discovered, probably wouldn't be licensed. It probably would be illegal because of the harmful effects that, yeah, it, it's the worst. Yeah, which it has both <laughs> both psychologically, physiologically, and on society. So, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, I think you're right. But it will be interesting to watch because no doubt in 10, 20 years' time, there are going to be large-scale studies going back, churning over mm-hmm. all the data from California, Colorado, Canada. Yeah, exactly. To see what the changes were. Again, I think we can all agree that, you know, on a young developing brain, yeah, throwing some some these things in it whether it's alcohol or weed or anything else is not a good idea um i got one other quick one a second number goes used to that too yeah go on (laughs) um and again because of the legalization thing that's it's canada is set to legalize we keep talking about this i think it's like almost like three or four episodes in a row now well that's because we predicted it yeah that's right uh, so this summer, it's supposed to happen, um, but the CBC ran a, an interesting article uh, this morning talking about the purity of the strains, the, the different strains of weed that you can get. So there's all these great names, right, for, for different weed strains. I want Bubba me Kush. some grade A weed. Yeah, you get your Bubba Kush, you get your, <laughs> your, your Lemon Kush, your Red Diesel, you know, all these different names. And... They were basically saying that nobody really knows, can guarantee what that is and the consistency of that label that's been given to this. So producers have, they grow these and they have the names for them and they have the seeds and stuff. But because A, weed has been around for a really long time uh, and it's been grown all over the world, uh, it's done a lot of mixing so a lot of genetic mixing going on in the weed strains. Also with the weed users, I would imagine, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and B, it's been illegal for a long time. Right. So there's been no bookkeeping on who's been 
you know, hybridizing plants with who and all that kind of stuff. So it was an interesting thing to think about, and it's going to be something that regulators, again, are going to have to think about uh, when when legalization does come up. Because generally, there's it's accepted that there's like two species of weed, okay. sativa and indica, um, each with different effects on in terms of the the um the high that right. you get i guess is the way to put it um it's a fun little fun little way to remember brad if you don't know what the difference is sativa is a more uplifting you know euphoric kind of energetic feeling okay um less you know couch potatoy and sort of shut away paranoia anxiety thing uh so sativa when you want to go out on a saturday night sativa okay yeah, yeah. indica when you so have you a night stay in. Uh, and you want to melt into your couch and just watch a movie and be like, dude, the Goosebumps movie is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, and I, I confess I know very little about a lot of this, but so the, the active ingredient is THC, is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So presumably these different strains have different varying amounts of THC? Yeah, and there's... Um, I think it also has to do with the CBD uh, content, which I'm not sure what the acronym okay. stands for. I, I can't remember. Cannab- cannabinoid something, maybe. Okay, that sounds um, about right. But so because you can you can remove the THC from weed and just have CB CBD, and that's supposed to offer some of the health benefits of weed. So some of the seizure reducing okay. qualities come. So. This is the big uh, story when there was the kids with uh, really bad epilepsy and CBD oils uh, and THC free weed and oils right. really helped them. And but so people were like, they're giving them weed. The kids shouldn't be getting them. And they're like, well, you know, you can you can breed them without THC and give them that. And so THC is really the psychoactive part. Got you. But I think. Yeah, the two the two strains of weed will have different different levels, levels of, of, each. C, of each and stuff, and so I'm not sure exactly what produces each thing. But then that's like all these different strains then are supposed to be mixes of all this right. that offer different, different yeah they've different effects. So some of them are pain relief, some of them are nausea relief, some of them are like I said, it's like a energetic Got you. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah out you know the, some of them are like the really like oh my god it's, I can feel my hair growing am I gonna die well you know so so then what I was thinking is knowing what governments are like they like to make a a buck and a dollar here and there obviously you know by legalizing cannabis they get to tax it fantastic mm. make some money out of it will there then be different levels of taxation on the varying amounts of active ingredient that's there so a bit like the tax on beer compared to the tax on spirits or wine is yeah. lower or higher so will that will that then become another revenue stream so then you'll start seeing people experimenting more with different breeds and maybe looking at the strains more than to Okay, well, if we, yeah, right. if, we, if we hybridize this, then we pay less tax, but you still get these effects or, or vice versa, you know, premium yeah. weed or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Monster energy weed. Yeah. <laughs> Five hour high weed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then I guess the other analogy is a bit like wine and grapes. You know, there's all these different grapes in wine, but essentially they all produce the same product. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think I, I tend to think it would be, it would end up being more like that because I don't know if you could make the distinction like that, like you can between spirits and beer. But it, is that also like the price difference? Obviously, there's a taxation difference, but isn't it would also be the way that it's produced, distilling versus brewing? I don't know. Well, yeah, well, yeah, that, and that ultimately is what affects your product and the amount of alcohol in it, isn't it? But so they're kind of two different products, whereas this is just like different varieties. Right. Of the but same then if product. you think of a British British beer versus an American beer versus a Belgian beer, so a 3.5% British beer versus a 6% American beer versus a 14% Belgian yeah. beer. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> um, effectively, it's the same product. It's effectively been made yeah. in the same way. But the alcohol content is different, and therefore, from a taxation point of view, they are treated differently. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm sure. That, I'm sure point. the governments will work that one out for us. Oh, they'll find a way. Yeah. Um, the The interesting thing is going to be how people, how the producers find a way to validate what it is, because that was in this report they had done a uh, a test on a strain that was got from a producer that said this is it's 100 percent indica. And then they took it to a lab and they did the genetic tests on it to see what species it was. And it was 100% the other one. It was, it was really? what did I say, indica, it was sativa. So there's just like, there's not, a, there's been no, there's been no regulation. There's been no, you know, oversight. So they're going to have to scramble to, to figure this all out. But then when they actually go to look at it, because of those points that I mentioned before, where it's been underground and it's been global, um, the genetics are just a mess. Like, and plant genetics, if you don't know, are generally a mess because they can hybridize with so many different other species. They can have you know multiple chrom like they can be. Whereas we have two sets of chromosomes, plants can have like three, four, five. Those genetic and so bastards. Like, yeah, and I I don't know what I don't know how many sets of chromosomes weed specifically has, but plant genetics is generally a mess. So. This is also, and you mentioned this when we were doing our pre-show, there's a job in there for some geneticists, right? There's, this is moved to Canada and other places, you know, <laughs> pending legalization. And there could be a real, you know, you could be the pot, the pot geneticist. Be the, the legal high Mendel. Yeah, generation. you could be, you could be the, the real Dr. Dre. <laughs> doctor of the, doctor of the chronic. Um, Yeah. Cool. So anyway, we can we can we can. Okay. Well. I, okay. Well, that's we can puff puff pass on to the next story. Well, and and there is a, a reasonably good link here. So yeah, we mentioned some of the medical uses for um, cannabis, and one of those is uh, pain. Uh, and then in previous shows, we've also talked a little bit about gene therapies. So I stumbled across um, a story at the moment about some new uh, potential new pain products that are coming that actually will utilize gene therapy. Um, and these have been bubbling away for a while, but the real suddenly the real push is because because of the opioid abuse epidemic. So there's like I think the statistic I saw was like a hundred people a day dying in the US. Yeah, um, it's really bad. Canada as well. Yeah. Um, so they're looking at other ways to you know obviously the manage people that pain. yeah manage pain um, that also can't be abused so much now. As I was researching, it's like, well, this will just get abused for a different reason. But anyway, the theory behind this is um, a there's a gene called SCN9A, 
that just rolls off the tongue. And effectively, what yeah, that, that I've heard of it. Yeah. So effectively, what that gene does is it's part of the instructions of encoding sodium channels, uh, and in particular, the sodium channel um, NAV one point seven. It's not quite a, you. Not, you always go so in depth. It's not quite version two point oh yet. It's you know V one point seven. There are nine of these sodium channels, um, and so high level on a cell, right? Um, yeah, nine different types of sodium channels. So every cell has sodium channels to let sodium in and out of the cell. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then that, that has, you know, that's used in neurotransmission and, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, now cell stuff. Yeah, cell stuff. What this specific channel does, this NAV1.7, what it specifically does is um, manage the pain response. So if you bang something, normally be a flood of ions in, depolarizes, you get the brain sig- the signal goes to the brain, you feel pain. What this gene therapy will look to do is actually mutate this gene, this SCN9A gene, to block or inhibit that sodium channel. Mm. So the pump no longer works. Right. Um, now, there is actually a naturally occurring mutation in this gene, um, and people have what they call CIP, a congenital insensitivity to pain. Um, ah. So when I was going across this story, the example they gave was a, um, a guy who's now in his 30s, but he was diagnosed with it when he was quite young. Um, he actually bit off a large chunk of his tongue. Um, <laughs> so his parents rushed him straight to the ER, obviously, because there's blood going everywhere. Um, but he wasn't crying. He had no he idea. Didn't feel it. Yeah, he had no idea this had happened because he didn't, didn't feel it. Um, he now thinks that he's had around about 70 fractures of multiple bones in his body. Um, but he either hasn't noticed them at the time or noticed them like months later or when he goes for a regular checkup and they do an <laughs> x-ray, they can see that he's broken another another bone. When he looks down and his arm's on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> it kind of reminded me a little bit of, is it, the, is it Unbroken or Unbreakable, the film with... Unbreakable, Unbreakable yeah, yeah, yeah. With Bruce Willis. Um, yeah, good, good movie. So the opposite of CIP though, this congenital incentive pain is called man of fire syndrome. Ugh, or, sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. So uh, otherwise known as know where this is going. inherited erythromyalgia. Um, and basically people experience excruciating pain just by doing really simple things. So putting on your Ugh. shoes, even wa- even walking into a warm warm room will feel like burning Ugh. sensation. Uh, and just simply like getting dressed, putting a jumper or sweater over your head, it's like uh. absolutely yeah, exactly, is agony. Um, so the idea of this gene therapy would that it would you know, a it could help those sufferers with the inherited uh, condition, yeah, <laughs> terrible pain condition. But then you could also use it to decrease the the use for opioids, therefore decreasing that of addiction. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now I wonder if well, well then there'd just be an increase, you know. An increase in addiction of people that, I don't know. Don't want to feel pain. Yeah. Or criminals, for instance. Well, it doesn't matter if the police shoot me eight times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, unless it really takes out my locomotion system, I'm not going down, don't think. To go back to the dual technology thing, I mean, this is, you're creating pain-free super soldiers. There you go. Yeah. So. Um, But interestingly, as I was going through, it turns out there's a number of biotech and pharmaceutical companies researching this. Um, but the one that's actually, um, they think further, furthest along is actually, um, being produced or in trials, uh, from, 
um, Amgen, the American biotech company, uh, and they they came across it by using uh, tarantula venom. Uh, so the Chilean tarantula uh, produces um, a venom which has this effect of blocking or mutating this sodium channel slightly. So they've does it mutate it or does it block it? It block- the venom must just block it. Uh, that's a good question. I think it blocks it, but then they're looking at a way to incorporate that so that it also has more permanent effects by mutating it. And then there's various yeah. analogs of it. But yeah. So then this is. Sorry, continue. No, no, go, go for it. Yeah, no, it was my, my question then is like this gene therapy. Once you do it to a, a person, then it's it's not reversible like it's not like so like if you're i could understand that you want to do that you could do gene therapy to fix the broken pumps of the people that don't feel any pain and the people that feel too much pain yeah you know to get them on a normal level but to in order to like not have opiate addiction like people that are getting um, prescribed opiates it's for post-surgery or an injury or something like this that's not people that i mean i guess there's people with in chronic pain that need opioids so they would be candidates for this but for the people that are you know you you broke your arm your post-surgery whatever you can't just oh we're just going to give you a squirt of this stem cell or g crispr or whatever and alter your genes but yeah you're just you're not you're going to feel less pain for the rest of your life yeah, and I guess yeah, I guess this would obviously be tar- this in particular would be targeted at, as you said those with chronic pain. Okay, yeah. well, rather than keeping you on morphine, which or you know whatever opioid, which usually you become resistant to over time, so you end up having to increase the dose more and more and yeah, more. So yeah, increase the dose more and yeah. more debilitating. Uh, so those sort of patients, yeah, right on. And then yeah, as you said with the transvenom, you know, rather than having a mu- mutation, then maybe you have a subset of these that just works on blocking that channel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, you could have a, a blocker, a, a drug that does the blocking of the channel, yeah, the pain channel for a while, and then in people that really need it, yeah, or are going to be in pain for the rest of their lives, you, yeah, you do the actual full on, and then mutation of it, yeah, and then obviously with this, with the people with this man of man on fire syndrome, man of fire syndrome, then potentially, yes, you're trying to. Or woman on fire syndrome. Well, that's not what the disease is called. So, sorry, you know, equal opportunists. You should have gotten there first. Um, non-specific gender person of fire syndrome just doesn't yeah. have the same ring. Obviously, yeah. in those people, then you would just go in and fix, yeah, fix the gene fix rather than you know wrong, you yeah. wouldn't put the mutated version in there. So, yeah, but interesting that gene therapy. You know, I think we've sort yeah. of predicted before, but gene therapy is you know potentially is going to you know be the medicine of the future, but I think will then open up all these then bigger ethical, ethical. questions of, well, actually, yeah, yeah. should we be fixing these genes? Because even, and- even, yeah, even like messing with your pain response, right? Like I think people, especially I could see a lot of, like I could see myself when I was 10 years younger being like, yeah, no pain. Awesome. Skateboarding, skiing, <laughs> what, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then pain obviously is, that's super dangerous. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah, pain's also there. You know, as you, skiing's a good example to let you know that your arm's been yeah. twisted around backwards. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the um, last year when I was snowboarding it was the first time I've been snowboarding where the majority of people on the slopes were wearing helmets. You know, all the times I've been before yeah. that, 
it was helmets were rarely seen maybe on kids and you know it was uncool to be wearing a helmet whereas that's flipped now which is obviously a good thing we were chatting to the guy in the uh, hire shop while we were sort of getting our stuff Uh, and I said wow you know makes a difference he went oh it's the worst worst thing ever so he's also one of like the rescuers on the slopes he said, we, oh. we have way more injuries now than we ever did because people think they're indestructible because they're wearing yeah, a helmet, yeah. they're wearing body armour. Yeah. Oh, well, I can do 100 miles an hour down this slope and be fine. Well, no, you yeah. you still don't have the technique, so yeah. you're not yeah, going to yeah. be fine. Um, people make that argument a lot for um, bike helmets too, cycling. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't... It's a whole other yeah. question, but yeah. 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 Interesting. So, there we go. Where do you want to go next? So, do you want to stick with one of mine or do you want to uh, take us to one of yours you, you get to choose you get to steer the ship at this point I'd say keep I'd say let's 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 keep this train a moving let's keep this train a chugging along and, and let's stick with the original plan and, and okay. hit up what you had there well then, uh, then we're really going to bring it down a, uh, a notch uh, both in terms of energy and uh, enthusiasm uh, Black no Death. way, that, that will always remain strong, will always remain high. Right up until the point that we die. Uh, yeah. Black Death. Uh, it's back. I've heard of it. It's back. Um, it's back. Well, I say it's back. Research on it is back. That's what's happened. Oh, um, oh it's, it's in vogue again. It is, yeah. It's it's the new hip thing. All the hipsters are talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's all about Getting the plague. Black Death patches. Yeah. yeah, it's all about plague. Yeah, keep it real. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the Black Death. We're so in touch. We are. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with the youth of today, my word. <laughs> not in that sense. I'm not a you know, 70s celebrity or anything like that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Black Death, plague. Um, it was a disease, well, still a disease now, but it was mainly a disease um, in the 14th century and for about 500 years after that. Mainly that's in, when it was really involved. That's when it was, yeah. That was the in thing. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't have Black Death, you were alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So in the 14th century across Europe, um, it's estimated that around about 25 million people died, which is like a third of the population yeah, uh, of Europe crazy. at the time. Um, crazy. And it's always been commonly held that it's called. We know that it's caused by a bacteria, uh, Yersinia yeah. pestis. And was there not just to jump into? There was a, Madagascar recently had an outbreak. Of so, uh, yeah. and I was going to say this could be one to put on our outbreak watch. Um, Mm-hmm. So it is still still in vogue in Asia, Africa, and in some of the Americas. Yeah. It pops up every once in a while. There's a reservoir of it in rodents. Um, okay. And it's long been held uh, that it was rodents that was the cause of the Black Death. Yeah. Um, so it's long been held that actually rats and the fleas on those rats um, is what spread the disease so readily and, and um, was so catastrophic. Actually, some work has been done now uh, in the University of Oslo and the University of uh, Ferrara, um, which is disputing that. Uh, they're actually saying it wasn't rodent fleas, it was actually human fleas and human lice that uh, led to the spread of the disease. So, yeah, itchy beard now, Which I'm sure you? there was a lot more of those in 14th century. Indeed. Uh, so what they did is, uh, for this study, they basically looked at the pattern and the scale of the Black Death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they compared that to mortality data from nine European cities now. Um, and then what they did is they looked 
with that mortality data, looked at the spread of that, and they modelled for if it was spread via rats and rat fleas, mm-hmm. um, if it was spread via an airborne uh, pathogen. Okay, what the most likely scenario is. Yeah. yeah, or if it was spread by fleas on and lice on humans. So they plotted all three sets of these data using those three different, uh, sorry, plotted those three different models. And actually what they saw is there was a much better match between the human flea, human lice trend than there was with the rats uh, hmm. and the rat fleas uh, and the airborne, you know, down in a lowly last place. Um so what they were saying is, um, yes, it's historic and it, that's useful, but obviously they, they're saying going forward, you know, obviously human fleas and human lice, not so much of an issue in the modern world. Although in most places. Most yeah. places. But it's a good, from this modelling work, it's been a good predictor of actually we should be mindful of this of the future with and look at this for other spreads of other, other diseases as well, potentially. Um, so, yeah. And so, uh, interesting pieces that I the other oh the other piece the other advice that comes out of this is if you're sick, stay at home, because naturally, yeah. Well, you say naturally, but people don't, do they? You have a really bad cough or cold, and people go into work and spread it through the workplace. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But interestingly, while I was going through this, um, what generated a lot of research um, was one of the most recent cases in 1992. Um, who was a guy that died um, via a cat sneezing on him. And the, <laughs> and the cat was infected uh, with the bacterium. With the, okay. uh, and he was trying to rescue the cat, from under, I believe, from underneath his house. Um, yeah. And while he was under there in the crawl space, the cat sneezed on him, and, yeah, he contracted the plague and died. Um, Wait, so you can get it from sneezing? Um, if they're infected, yeah. Actually, yeah, the spread of the bacteria. So there's there's a, there's the there's many ways that there's there are many ways. ways you, yeah. So yeah. you know, they don't say this, but obviously it has been shown that there is a reservoir of the disease in rodents in Africa, Asia, some of the Americas. Meaning that rodents carry it and yeah. they don't die from it. Right. But then obviously there is yeah humans. there is a transmission to humans. So that that route still exists, and no doubt probably during the the plague years. Um, yeah. That was still having During an effect, the yeah. yeah. But the the majority of the effect they're now saying was actually down to the human fleas, the human lice, and not the rodents. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. So the bacteria can live, like presumably, on rodents, in rodents, in rodents. And, yeah. And then if you get bit or you're too close to them or something like this, then you can get it. Yeah. Or yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so in terms of watching out for the disease, um, it's not a massive one. So between 2010 and 2015, there were uh, about 3,300 cases globally mm-hmm. um, of uh, plague, uh, with around about five, six hundred deaths. So it's not a, yeah. not a massive one, but it could be one to, you know, if, yeah. if we're really struggling for outbreaks to watch out for on our show, <laughs> you know, that could be a, a little one just to keep in the background. Yeah, well, no, the one in uh, the outbreak in Madagascar uh, was end of last year, I think, is when it was sort of really popping off. But uh, less than 100 people dead, I think. But it was a a notable case because it was, you know, I guess normally 
nowadays when you when you hear of plague it's it's sporadic yeah you know you don't normally get a concentration concentrated outbreak like that um so yeah i believe it was madagascar yeah uh, and it was like well the the plague is back yeah, well it never really left but you know yeah and i think it was a couple of years ago too it might have been that there was the big talk was don't blame the rats blame the rat fleas yeah yeah and now it's don't blame the don't rat blame fleas. them so much blame the human yeah, fleas, human fleas but really human every it's all been it's passing around by everybody cats rats fleas yeah so like who cares well, I mean, obviously, you want to know how things, what the most efficient way that it spreads so that you can, yeah, public I, health concerns. I want to check there's no lice in my bed next time I go away to stay somewhere in Asia, Africa, or the Americas. Presumably, I think you would want to do that with or without plague. Yeah, it's true. Where you're just like, nah, I don't care, as long as I don't have plague. <laughs> plague probably being one of the big ones I wouldn't want to catch. Yeah, yeah. I guess there are other diseases as well. The other diseases yeah. are available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, cool. Why don't, you, why don't you try and cheer us up a little bit, Flash? Oh, okay. Well then, I have an interesting one for you. Have you ever wondered why, you know, Playboy movie stars like George Clooney or Leonardo DiCaprio? I mean, George Clooney's married now, but it took him a while to settle down. Right? Right, yeah. So, why are they bachelors? Why are they always single? They're just balling so hard that they don't have time to get married. You know, they just don't want to be held down. You know, even rich ladies, a lot of them are single. What is it? What well, is it about that? Some of them do like to be held down, both the men and the women. They pay, <laughs> they pay a lot of money for that thing, that's what I've heard. And seen on some certain websites. But anyway, I, I digress. Sorry. <laughs> Well, it turns out there might be a psychological reason behind all this. And they've been smoking weed. Yeah, and then they forget that they were married. Um, (laughs) That's why I cheated on you, love. I'm sorry. uh, You you got to be smoking a lot of weed to get to that level. A lot of the Saturday night weed. None of this staying in weed. Yeah. Well, I guess you you need some staying in weed. You can get to that level. My hats off to you, sir. That's a that's a whole nother level. Um, no, so the 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 study that was done found that wealth may drive a preference in people to choose short term relationships versus long term relationships. So how they conducted this in classic psychological study fashion is they showed participants in the study a bunch of pictures of the opposite sex so they recruited so 75 they, men 70 76 women all heterosexuals gave them a lot um, of porn magazines yeah okay yeah sure I, I don't know what the pictures where the source of the pictures were from sign me up for this study at 25 euros an hour I like <laughs> they uh they well, I don't want the cream on my face afterwards but no no <laughs> god they uh they showed him pictures and they said, decide whether you would want to have a long-term or short-term relationship with this person <laughs> and, and, and then sort them into categories. Surely you know. there's got to be a gender effect there. Well, no, actually there wasn't. And so then, so they said, you know, put them into the, the short-term or the long-term pile. You know, you get 50, 50 pictures of, of the opposite sex. 
short-term or long-term pile. And then they showed them all like a slideshow of pictures of wealth. So like jewels and expensive cars and I'm assuming stacks of money and boats and all that stuff. Just basically any hip-hop video. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then they showed them the same pictures and got them to re re-rank, recategorize them into short or long terms. And after they had been primed, I guess, with this images of wealth, um, both men and women had a significant more amount of choices for short-term relationships. So by 16%, the amount of people that they chose to be, to do short-term relationships with went up by 16%. Okay, so, it, this, so it wasn't, they didn't take wealthy people for this challenge. They took normal people, but then, no, just, no, no, showed, yeah, yeah. then just showed them the pictures of a wealthy lifestyle yeah. and yeah, whatever. Exactly. And then, okay, okay. And this is, this is like, we can get into the discussion a little bit as to the methodology of it, because I had a, I had a conversation with my wife, Teresa, about this. She has done a psychology degree and has done some research. And I'm always Poor. wondering about this method. <laughs> so she's basically on what have I done? I've got myself, yeah. into, a, I've got myself into a long-term relationship with this guy that's yeah. poor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, anyway, so we can discuss the methods of it. Uh, but to, to finish up with, with the study, uh, they, what they think um, the reasoning behind this is, the, the extrapolation of this effect is that people historically or in evolutionary time, so thousands of years ago as we're evolving, um, when resources are aplenty, it's less of a concern as to how you're going to raise a child. Um, so both partners can choose to go it alone uh, or there'll be less pressure to stay together to bring that child up to maturity. Uh, and so that's what they think the evolutionary basis of this trait is. Oh, that's your favorite um, thing as well, isn't it? Say it's evolution. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, exactly. So this is what I'm saying with the methods, but we can get into that discussion. So then the other, you know, quirk of the study was they also, they found another change in preference when they showed people to do the same study, but instead of showing people images of wealth, they either showed them pictures of dangerous animals and, or pictures of adults interacting with babies. Oh, okay. I wonder where that yeah. was going. <laughs> and what do you think the preference for relationship time skewed to after seeing dangerous animals or adults interacting with babies, short or long? See, I think from an evolutionary point of view, you could spin it either way. Exactly. Because I think. But, so was it the same for both or was it different for both? Generally the same for both, but one sex did did go against the trend noticeably what they said well I see because I think you could say well there's a leaning towards the short term because people were okay well there's a dangerous animal oh babies yeah I need to procreate to keep myself going I think the flip yeah. side of that is well I want to be safe and secure and therefore I want to be in a long term relationship yeah yeah, so it was it, it skewed toward long term okay. after dangerous animals and pictures of interaction with babies. So that was a general general trend for both sexes. Although they did note that um, some women chose short term after seeing that. Oh really? See, so, yeah, I thought that would have been more men based on the yeah 
quick. I've got to sow my seeds before I get eaten by the tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe it could be too, the idea of, of having as many children as possible. Yeah. For the women, for the woman too, you know, and, and not like, or maybe it could come down to a situation where you're in a, a community. And so are you, it's not necessarily about monogamous relationships like we tend to think of them, but rather you're having short-term relationships with multiple different partners, but they're still living, you're still living together, like in a tribal situation, like right. back, way back in time. You know, I could see, and this is, so yeah, to get into the discussion of, you know, just, well, you could find an evolutionary basis for anything right for anything you can like you said you could try you could find a way to try and spin it in, in either, either way. way yeah yeah um obviously there's there's ones that make that tend to make more sense and i know that they do you know, look at historical data i mean you you would look at um people that are groups of, of humans that are living um in what we would say you know the indigenous ways now and those you would you would take those people to be closer to what our evolutionary ancestors would be like, uh, would have lived like, would have behaved like. Um, so you can look at it that way too and make inferences. But the whole thing, and this is what I, I brought up with my wife, was is this really is this really the best way to, to go about these? You just you show them a picture and then you show them a picture of something else. And then you show them the pictures again and get them to re resort them. Like it just doesn't seem concrete. Like it doesn't seem. But and she was just like, well, well. First of all, she said you sound like one of those natural science people that are always shitting on psychology and think that you're so great and all of this. And I was like, that is true. Yeah. Did you then point um, out that you've got your PhD? <laughs> I did not. Probably, probably the best. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but she was saying, she was saying, she's like, there's no, like, what, how else do you answer these? This is why psychology uses these methods is because they're the, the, tri the, the best methods that the field has to do these kind of things. Um, and it's really, when you think about it, um, there, we're visual people, we're visual creatures. A lot of our interactions and everything is based on vision. That's how we um, read faces, we read body language all of this stuff like vision is a big thing for humans and that's something that I had never thought about uh, when she brought it up so she said you know using pictures is really not that big of a stretch you can when you see something you your brain starts thinking about what that means and what the context of that is and it shapes your your behavior so they, they really can that's why they can see an effect when you do when you do these exercises of like showing pictures of one thing and showing pictures of the other, otherwise it would just be random, right? Like you would just get random yeah. data over and over and over, um, you know. So obviously it's not perfect, and I've been known to shit on this kind of study before, but she really you know checked me, and you got to think you know yeah it's not perfect, but what science is perfect, and it's the best method we got. The thing with you know. The, the fact that we're visual creatures, which I'd never, never thought of makes, makes a lot of sense. But I still, you know, I still, I feel to then take this effect and say, oh, well, evolutionary, this is why we think. Well, and again, I know that you're science, you're just building a theory. You're just, what could it be? No, you know, it's no one saying that's a hundred percent what it is, but well, it's just, it's a convenient story. When you, when you first, 
when we talk about this, and we didn't before the show, and you didn't go into much detail. You just sort of wealth, short term, long term. And now, my immediate go to was, what are the results based on now what you've said? Because they showed these pictures, and I, I expected the gender difference with men leaning towards the short term, with, with potentially men going two one of two ways. One, you show them a picture of this wealth, and they go, oh well, to get that girl. Mm. then I need all those flash cars and then I can have a short, you know, to get that girl into bed, I need that Aston Martin in that yacht and whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. That point of it. And then the other way my head was thinking was, well, actually, then you show them pictures of all this wealth and they say, well, to protect that wealth, I'm going to have a short-term relationship because if I get married and it doesn't work out, I lose my mm. lose my wealth. So that potentially then takes the evolution argument. Well, does it? I guess then an evolutionist would say, well, that's... Survival, isn't it? Yeah, but but that's that's true too. It's like, what is the modern context in which these people are making these decisions, right? Like, it's not all super ingrained evolutionary traits that we've gotten from millions of years ago. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe people are looking at it and saying, "Well, do I want to share my wealth because we know how marriage goes." like the statistics on marriage or something like how much is that influencing the discuss the decision and could you you know how do you you know could you account for that i don't know if you can so yeah that's actually interesting i never thought about that it's like when you're looking people are always looking way to the past to yeah. describe behaviors when it's like well maybe there's a maybe a it's more... being shaped by the future protecting our future yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the modern context of, of marriage and stuff. And that's kind of, I guess, when I was thinking about some of these too, I was brought up the, the point of you know living in a tribal situation where what's the nature of the relationship? Okay, so it's a short-term relationship as in you're mating with that partner, but you might have multiple partners, but you live in a community structure. So what's the, what's the content? Like when you say a relationship, obviously I think when the, when the researchers, when the studiers are, uh, researchers are doing this study they're, they're talking about marriage right yeah like that's that's the context that both the participants and the researchers will be framing their thoughts on this so whether it's short-term long-term whether it's actually marriage or not but we're thinking of the relationship in the modern way but there's many different ways that you could do a relationship you could have short-term relationship but living in a group structure where everybody's having short-term relationships with everybody, so effectively it's a long-term relationship with everybody as well. You know what I mean? Like, there's lots of different ways to, you know... Pass the weed and pass the penis around, yeah. You can live your life however you want, man. I ain't going to (laughs) judge. But, so it's kind of... There's a lot of of shit to to untangle. But again, as Teresa said, she's like, "How, how else do you do it? How else do you do this kind of study? I mean, you can do functional MRI studies where you can see brain regions lighting up. But again, that kind of gives you the same, you know, that's that's not going to give you the why of the behavior. It's yeah. going to be like, well, this brain region is yeah. doing this. This is what, know? but not the why, yeah. Yeah, so it's, and, and you can't you can't do sort of experimental manipulations on people and, well, you know, give them, give 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 a bunch of people a bunch of money and watch how they, you know, ball so hard that they got no time for short-term relationships or maybe they settle down and have long-term yeah who knows but you can't you can't do that kind of manipulation well maybe maybe you could modulate emotions with some of the dual technology that we talked about earlier so maybe you could do that type of study if you were unethical and locked in that situation 
who that's kno- a whole other set of confounding factors. Who, who knows what's going on in that military bunker deep underground? <laughs> they just got a guy and they're giving him all the cars, all the money, being like, so what do you want? Do you want to settle down with a lady or do you want to just keep think you know, you'll find partying called, with these prostitutes over here? I think you'll find he's called Donald Trump, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> no. I say allegedly. It's a, it, uh, it's a big psychology it's a, experiment. It is. Okay, well, to swallow, to swallow on, to, to follow on, uh, you can swallow on if you like whatever's floats your boat love I'm not going to stop you it's like we said we're not going to judge exactly you live your life man uh, to follow on from from that and you know being in a relationship and the, the sweetness that that is um, you know run into the sweet themes so something that obviously will be close to your heart Flash uh, ye olde Canadian maple syrup um, or in fact New England maple syrup as well not just uh, Canadian maple syrup but uh, that stuff's shit well yeah, well, that's a that's a that's you a heard it here debate. first, New England. Um, Back off. But th- those of you that have a sweet tooth, um, you might want to flick into survivor mode because uh, there is a study out there, a new study out there, that basically saying uh, the sugar maple trees are not going to survive climate change. Uh, they're not. Mm. They're not reacting well now. They are not going to survive. Mm. Uh, so start stockpiling your maple syrup now because there might not be any left soon enough. Good um, Lord. Yeah, so in this uh, study, it's just been polished, polished published uh, in um, the Ecology Journal. Um, there's been a hypothesis around for a little while that we know climate change, however you want to badge that, is happening. Um, and it's been noted that the sugar maple tree is sensitive to that. Um, but it's always been thought that actually... All the extra nitrogen in the atmosphere from cars, from factories and um, general pollution and agriculture, actually, because of all that extra nitrogen, actually that will protect them a little bit. Uh, and hmm. they'll, you know, they'll survive because of that extra nitrogen. Um, <coughs> actually, what's happened is they've, um, a team of people have gone back and looked at 20 years worth of tree and soil data um, in four locations. Uh, I think this was done in Michigan, actually. Um, four locations, um, and basically they've blown that theory out of the water. They've basically said, that ain't enough. Um, what they've s- Not enough, man. It's not, not enough. enough. So what they've seen is, and basically it comes down to um, a lack of water um, will stunt the growth of the trees. Uh, and over time, potentially, a tree that's got stunted growth isn't going to, A, going to reduce syrup, and B, potentially has... You know, more chances of being affected by disease and dying out. Um, mm. So the two scenarios that they looked at with this this data was, if scenario one was there's a decrease in CO two emissions. So obviously there's the Paris Agreement and whatever in, to try and get CO two emissions down. Mm-hmm. Um, so if CO two emissions could come down, the temperature global temperatures increases slightly because we don't think we can stop that. That's going to happen. But it's moderate, so you're looking at a one Celsius change over the next hundred years or so. Um, there's that scenario. Scenario one. Scenario one. Scenario two is the current trend as it is continues. So CO two emissions continue to increase. Atmospheric CO two levels continue to increase. Um, because of that, global temperatures increase by five degrees over the next hundred years per se. Um, 
the effect that we see because of climate, and I always like to say climate change, because people are global warming, you know, people are freezing sure. right now. Yeah. Um, but what we tend to see with... People that say that are stupid, though, by the way. Well, you know, you said that, not me, but I might <laughs> agree with you. Um, you know, what, what people say, well, global warming, but I'm still cold, or, well, global warming, but it's still raining. Yeah. There are obviously flash floods and things, but actually within this trend within the model what you tend to see is you get less rain overall during the summer months yes you get flash flooding which isn't always a good thing obviously but you get less rain overall in the summer um so total yeah so a scenario two you mod you model that you work out you're probably gonna have about 40 percent 40 percent less rain in the summer um and as we said the lack of water will stunt the growth so scenario two basically decimates the sugar maple tree population Sacre bleu. Indeed. That's so. Quebec right now. <laughs> Freaking out that the that their maple industry has gone to shit. Well, they and need then to... the rest of Canada is going to be like, oh, shit. We're going to have upset Frenchmen <laughs> living right next to I mean, they're already pretty crabby most of the time. Well, and now it's just going to be worse. That's because they all smell of garlic. <laughs> I... is, that, is that what British people say? Yeah, that's what they say. That's, that's what British say about the French. They chomp on onions, they smell of garlic, and they cycle everywhere, and they wear stripy jumpers and berets. That's basically the stereotypical image the British have <laughs> of the French. And I think the, the French have the image of the British are um, boorish, loud, boorish, loud, smelly, drink warm yeah. beer. Their food is terrible. Yeah. Um, they're uneducated. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you both got it pretty much nailed. Uh, yeah, uh, but you know, that's, <laughs> I don't what, that's, that that's why us Brits thing. live on an island. So you know, maybe maybe the rest of Canada want to come and live over here and just leave Quebec over there. But oh, man, yeah, no, our, our dead English Canada views Quebec as a as a a place that likes to complain. Well, and if the maple and if the maple trees are gone, but maybe this could be the great catalyst for change. You get the Quebecers upset about something, then they tend to you know they tend to act. They tend to raise a they raise a fuss. So maybe Quebec will save the world from climate change because they're going to be like, the maple industry is going down and that's not good for Quebec. And what's not good for Quebec, everybody else has to hear about Okay, it. well, yeah. Well, I, w- I was going to say, or, you know, you could get them over that depression by letting them smoke more weed. But then I guess the flip of that is then they get the munchies afterwards and they eat all the syrup that you've got in your stockpile. Yeah. So <laughs> then we're all screwed on so many levels. Yeah. So, yeah, for if for no other reason... Start thinking about the environment to save the maple syrup. Yeah, if you're a fan of maple syrup, you know, take take the bus more, use less water, do your part. Yeah, and do if, your part. And if you see a maple tree in summer, then just go and give it a little bit of love, pour a little bit of water on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do 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 us a favor. Yeah. The last thing we need in Parliament is more complaints from Quebec. I'm well, just, I just, I jest though to any anyone that happens to be listening in Quebec. I love you. Don't leave Canada. We wouldn't be the same without you. you it's and the, I don't it's think you smell like garlic. Make, <laughs> it's the differences within a nation that make us a nation, isn't it? That's why I love. That's right. It's true. I love Quebec. Okay, you heard it here first. I'm going to get a flash a T-shirt with "I love Quebec" on it uh, for a yeah. Christmas present. No, so that's uh, taking care of that one off my list. Do you want me to uh, give you a, a brief summary of uh, the journey that we've been on today? Please do. Please do. 
Doc Brown, take us back in time. Okay, well, fire up the flux capacitor. 1.21 <laughs> gigawatts. Uh, here we go. Um, war. What is it good for? Well, potentially it's good for curing Alzheimer's and spinal injuries. <laughs> but could be, could be. Conversely, it could be good for killing a load of people. We just don't know what's going on in that bunker. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's the first point we wanted on today. Uh, number two is... Uh, Canada is just about to become the world's largest clinical trial for uh, the effects of weed on a mass population. So the rest Blaze of the world, it up. Blaze it up. stand back and watch there. Uh, the must-not-have accessory uh, for this year or any other year, in fact, is the plague. Um, That's right. Uh, and if you want to get rich or stay rich, then have a relationship, but uh, maybe make it a short one. You got it. Uh, and yeah, and I did put a summary in there about the, the maple syrup because I was, you know, too passionately speaking about saving the maple syrup. But uh, yeah, start stop buying maple syrup, ladies and gents, just in case. I think that's that's the other that's the other point here is because do we expect humans to get our act together? Mm, let's err on that. There's not there's going to be a real maple syrup shortage, and uh, the price is going to skyrocket. <laughs> So what you're saying is we should take our Bitcoin and invest it in maple syrup farms. That's right. Well, no, we should just buy maple syrup and hoard it. We'll keep it in my Steve, in my friend Steve's basement where he keeps his silver, <laughs> and uh, and we'll just you know when the when the when the last bottle runs dry, we'll just slowly the, leak out our supply. And the apocalypse happens, then yeah, yeah. but then. Then will we start producing fake maple syrup? There'll be Synthetic? Ma- yeah, there'll be counterfeit maple syrup going around. And well, we'll corn just, we'll, starch bastards. Yeah, yeah, we'll just like cut, we'll cut the maple syrup with, you know, a bunch of like corn, sar- <laughs> corn starch and whatever. Fructose you know, syrup so, or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then, you know, but for our premium customers who want to spend, you know, big Bitcoin... Or whatever the coin is. Well, it wouldn't be a Bitcoin then, would it? Surely, if they're spending a lot of it, it wouldn't be a Bitcoin. It'd be a huge fuck off coin. Yeah. Well, and that's that'll be the the cryptocurrency that we start. Right. I like it. See, (laughs) we've got a future mapped out, and some would say we are in a bit of a bromance relationship. So, you know, is it short term, long term? Who knows? But you know, show me that wealth. Keep me involved. So you're saying the only reason you stick around at this podcast is because I'm poor? Uh, no, I always have the hope that one day you might be rich. <laughs> well, if, dude, then I'm going to be like balling so hard that I'm going to be long gone. You'll be, you'll, you'll see me on a boat just throwing dollar bills in the air. <laughs> well, dollar bills will be fine because they'll float when they hit the water. You start throwing your Canadian dollars around. Yeah. They'll yeah, be loonies. sinking to, yeah, loonies yeah. and toonies. They'll be sinking to the bottom of the ocean. That's a, a bunch lot. of fish choking <laughs> on metal money. <laughs> Well, then everyone will be eating sushi, trying to get the toonies out of them. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we decimate the fish population no, all no, because I'm, the maple syrup's gone to shit. I'm so cheap that my boat would have nets extending out around it that would just be catching all those <laughs> coins and like recycling them, so I could throw them in the air again. Much like a lap dancer's thong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so before we uh, dive. Divest and diverge, diverge, divest, digress. That's the one. Digress. There all you the, go. All the words are in there. I just have to find them. Yeah, you I got think, all the best words. Well, I think somebody did a military experiment on me trying to cure memory loss and actually screwed me over. But anyway, Flash, as always, it's been great. For those that want to get in touch with us, please do, uh, especially if you want to you know, get involved with our maple syrup scam. 
Um, you can hit me up uh, on Twitter at Bradley W. Hayes. You can hit the show up uh, at Too Brad For You on Twitter as well. We're also on the Instagram as well. Uh, Flash, if uh, the good people of the world want to get in contact with you. Um, You're thinking about let this me now, just, you? Actually, yeah, just don't no. bother. Don't bother getting in contact with Flash. He can't yeah. be bothered. You could write me a letter. Send oh. me a smoke signal. Old school. A smoke of what kind? Oh, you know. I think the <laughs> listeners know. I think the listeners know. No, yeah, I, I, Twitter, uh, bvampared on uh, Instagram as well. Yeah, hit me up. Flash, as always, it's been a, a pleasure. You too, my friend. Uh, and until next time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to the listeners. Indeed. And we will see you next time. Take care. Adios. This is actually a lot. Do we normally have this many? You don't normally come with four, to be honest. Do like I have four? Get two out of you. No, I got three. I got three. We times two. Nah, it's not really times two. Nah, see, that's memory effect. <laughs> You've been smoking too much already. I wish. Um, <laughs> that's not memory effect either. That's. <laughs> Me considering that those two are one. That's a difference of of lang- of um, definition. Okay, well, wh- when you when you put this together, you can go back through the audio file and you'll find the bit where it says, I've got two on weed. <laughs> Will it say that? Because it could very easily be, I've, I've got, got one. Weed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could very easily have it saying, Brad saying, I've got all the weed. I've got all the weed. My address is. <laughs> Come help yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Break my ass while you're at it as well. He loves the Black Death. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Be fine. Well, that's.